the new fully electric Audi e-tron GT. Enjoy the breathtaking performance and design of the future of electric mobility from Audi. With Quattro-inspired flared wheel arches and matrix design LED headlights, every element has been carefully considered and selected to help deliver a thrilling drive. And with an acceleration of 0 to 100 kilometers per hour in 4.1 seconds, the Audi e-tron GT is performance electrified. Start the future now and visit audi.ca to learn more. As the federal government considers reopening Canada's borders to international travelers, now is an ideal time to look back at the past year and a half on how the COVID-19 crisis has frozen our economy at times. I'm Gabe Friedman, and my guest this week on Down to Business is Alex Himmelfarb, a former clerk of the Privy Council and chair of the steering committee of the Center for Policy Alternatives in Ottawa. As Himmelfarb explained in a May report, two-thirds of Canada's overall deaths occurred in long-term care homes, a ratio more than 50% higher than in other OECD countries. In Canada, there are many different kinds of long-term care homes. There's public, there's private for profit, private not for profit, and religious-based care. Sometimes they're called nursing homes or residential care, but in the end, they're all places where elderly people live. Although many long-term care homes did not experience high COVID-19 death rates, among the 15 long-term care homes with the highest number of resident deaths, 13 were operated by for-profit entities, according to his report. Given how COVID-19 has frozen parts of our economy, this is an issue that's likely to receive ample attention going forward. As always, this interview was edited for clarity and brevity. Alex Himmelfarb, thank you so much for joining me today on Down to Business. And my pleasure, Gabe. Good to connect. Great. I think many people know that COVID-19 ravaged long-term care homes in Canada. And one of the more prominent findings of your report is that in Ontario, the death rate as a result of COVID-19 was extraordinarily high in so-called for-profit long-term care homes. What would be the sort of simplest way to explain why? Yeah. Well, first of all, just to be absolutely clear on, on the data, the death rate in for-profit care was twice as high as not-for-profit delivery and something like five times as high as long-term care homes that were delivered by municipalities. So the difference is stark, unmistakable, and tragic. The whole report kind of goes at how we got here and, and why that's happening. But maybe the simplest explanation, the one-line explanation, is that if the caregiver's first priority is to shareholders rather than to citizens in their care, you inevitably have a problem. That, by the way, is, is what the uh, Long-Term Care Commission concluded. That's what research has shown over and over again, that profit reduces care and increases cost. Hmm. The report mentions various ways that for-profit homes are able to wring profit out of long-term care, real estate, contracting, food services, cleaning. I mean, can you explain maybe in a little detail how some of this occurs? The uh, pool of money in, in long-term care is relatively fixed. The government has set the amount of, of money. And for the most part, it is a, an area where the, the amount of money is relatively fixed. So how do you increase profit? You increase profit the two ways, reduce costs, increase fees, right? And if you reduce costs, pretty much the only area of flexibility is staffing, staff training, staffing. And what did we find? We found that staff were undertrained, that 
that the nursing homes were undermanned, that there were serious staff shortages, and that staff were often required to work in multiple nursing homes and underpaid, undertrained, overwhelmed. That's how you save money. It's also clear that for many of these companies, real estate became a a more important priority than than people. (laughs) Some of them actually became kind of real estate holding companies because while the cost of the buildings was subsidized by government, the ownership reverted to private hands. And so that became a, a huge focus for these people. So they find their, their profit in cutting costs in what was already a cut-to-the-bone sector, increasing fees, or in things other than care. That gives you a, a taste. Yeah. I mean, this is really a Canada-wide problem because I think, as the report mentions, two-thirds of Canada's overall deaths occurred in long-term care homes, which is 50% higher than OECD countries. Exactly. And part of that, part, first of all, I don't want to suggest that the entire problem is a problem of private over public. It's a huge part of the problem. I don't think we fix it if we don't shift away from private care. And and by the way, just another issue of private care is that, as the report says, you know, our dependence on private care also makes us vulnerable collectively as they become like the banks in 2008, too big to fail. And so they have huge clout because we can't afford to truly get tough with them when, when getting tough is the right answer. So it's not the only problem, however, and, and the underfunding by the government is a huge part of the problem. The deregulation or sometimes backdoor deregulation. So even where the regulations were relatively good, the enforcement and oversight was very weak. The example we know most about, Ontario comprehensive inspections were reduced to almost zero as a cost-saving measure or in response to pressure from the, from the care homes themselves. But in any case, so you have right across the board real problems. And part of the, the reason for all that is that in Canada, we've had this extremely narrow view of public health care. It has been doctors and hospitals. And we have done much work worse on home care, on pharma care, and regrettably, on long-term care. It's not included in funding agreements between the federal government and provincial government. It, like uh, medicine and home care, is not included in the principles of the Canada Health Act. And so it has been an area of national neglect. So I'm trying to understand the business of long-term care. And maybe you can sort of explain the landscape of how the public-private partnership works and how some taxpayer funds end up going to for-profit corporations involved in long-term care. Uh, huge, huge portions of our tax, more than half of, of our care is for profit. And, and even the not-for-profit rely on some aspects of profit companies and contracting out and so on. So a huge part of it goes to private companies. And you can attribute a lot of that to decades of austerity, or in Canada, austerity light that we have squeezed health programs. And even though, say in the the case of long-term care, the the funding did increase. So people say, oh, look, it's still increasing. It didn't increase at the rate in Ontario, at the rate of inflation, 
or at the rate of need in an aging population. And so it it was squeezed. Add to that, the millions were taken out of the system by this government, and it was squeezed by previous governments. There's a lot of blame to go around. That if you if if you're cutting taxes, there's there's consequences. Tax cuts are not free. They're not, it's not a free good. Uh, many people feel that they're overtaxed or that they're taxed unfairly. But if you go against the OECD average, if you go against the average of rich countries, we are below the average and we're near the bottom on social spending. And so how did how did we get private? Because we instead of taxing, investing in, in public funds, we deferred costs to the extent, to the extent we, we could or we kept costs off the books by looking to private partners, hoping that private partners would carry the load. And and by the way, you know, private partners pay more for debt. They don't get credit at the rate that governments do, especially the federal government. They haven't yielded the efficiencies that we, we hoped, and they haven't reduced the cost because on a critical issue like healthcare, government's got the backstop. So government ends up footing the footing the bill in any case. I think a lot of people can understand how politicians are often incentivized to look for short-term options over long-term options because it's the hectic business of politics is a little different than the way, say, a company would be run where a CEO can sort of work autocratically. Politicians often have to form consensus, short-term options that don't necessarily add up in the long-term, I think often come about. And it sounds like that's what this is a little bit, that it's cheaper in the short-term to rely on for-profit care but over the long term, it ends up costing us more money. Well, um, I, I think that's exactly right. And okay, we often look and appropriately look at the costs to those most vulnerable, to the ill, to those in long-term cares, and, and the costs have been tragic and, and horrifying. But there are other costs as well. One of the costs of austerity is short-termism. When you're looking to cut, you take the low-hanging fruit, but you also cut things that produce in the long term because you want to minimize the short-term pain for political reasons, right? So there's a huge short-termism. Another consequence is that you forego investments that might have paid off big time long-term. So a lot of it is you lost missed opportunity, opportunity costs. Little wonder that we were so ill-prepared for a pandemic that experts knew was coming. And do you, does anyone, has anyone quantified sort of the size of the long-term care industry in Ontario or in Canada or even North America? I, I've seen it. I haven't, uh, those numbers at my fingertips, but you know, you, 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 you know, I figure there's what something like in just Ontario, 77,000 or 78,000 long-term beds or Tens of thousands of short-term and other kinds of beds. There are probably over a hundred thousand Ontarians in long-term care with an aging population. That's going up. We're talking a pretty significant sector and pretty powerful companies. Companies that have paid out, by the way, tens of millions of dollars in dividends to their shareholders. Yeah. To go back for a second to short-termism, what, what sort of policies would be required to address this? Would there be require Ontario taking on more debt? What are we talking about? What are the impacts if we choose to sort of phase out for-profit care? So there's a level of ambition out there in government, including in the federal speech from the throne and maybe to a lesser extent in the federal budget. You're seeing a level of ambition that we haven't seen for decades. So it means with interest rates rock bottom, even, even if they were to rise a bit, 
rock bottom and, and the ability to lock in the current rates for long term in you know, 30 year bonds or what have you. The idea of borrowing and running a bit of a deficit for smart investment is probably more on the table than it's been for decades. I've said this before and I've been wrong before, but I believe taxation is going to make a comeback. Certainly, there's huge interest in doing better at collecting what, what's owed and plugging the leaks, closing the loopholes. So I think it does mean more public investment, but I also think it means a strengthening of the regulatory framework, higher standards, taking seriously transparency and enforcement, and treating the care economy, all aspects of the care economy, especially long-term care, but not only, to, as a key feature of our economic future. Because what we've learned is when health breaks down, everything breaks down, that you cannot run an economy if you don't take care of one another and our, our public health. It's time that we stop neglecting the care economy. And a good place to start is where we saw the most tragic consequences, and that is care of the elderly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a great talk. I really appreciate you coming on the show to, to explain what's happening with long-term care. My pleasure, Dave. Good to, good to connect with you. That was Alex Himmelfarb, chair of the steering committee of the Center for Policy Alternatives. Here at Down to Business, we have some good news to announce. The Portfolio Management Association of Canada awarded our show second place in its annual journalism awards for episode number 87, which unpacked the Reddit GameStop trading phenomenon. You can listen to it in our archives, and we were proud to be recognized alongside so many colleagues. Thanks for listening, and a big thanks to the team for making all this possible, including Bryce Hall for music and production, Yadula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven for web support. You can show your support by continuing to listen to Down to Business, sharing episodes with friends, and rating us wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Gabe Friedman, and until we return next week, find all your business news at financialpost.com.